0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast, stories by leaders for leaders, to help you raise the bar on your own excellence, to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation, where leaders create synergy through sharing their vision and make it a common vision. We are the visionaries, and we lead. Today, we have a, a new friend, a leadership expert, Bob Jordan, who's going to share some insights with us. So, Bob, tell us a little bit about who you are, and why do you do this important work?
1: Thanks, Hugh. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, your listeners won't see this, but I have my special T-shirt on for you there.
0: Yay. It
1: says, right, leader, for those who can't see that. Um, I, uh, I'm your classic entrepreneur. I uh, started my first company. I dropped out of uh, graduate school to start what became the first magazine in the world that covered online and internet. It was called Online Access. My only mistake was being five years too early before the World Wide Web, Uh, but eventually we got it right. The business uh, eventually grew pretty fast, put me on the Inc. 500 list of fastest growing businesses in the U.S. Eventually I sold it, That was not an event like, oh, gee, I'm going to go retire. Uh, I was wondering what to do with the rest of my life. And fortuitously met a guy uh, who had a weird job title. He called himself an interim CEO. And uh, then he handed me his business card. And his business card said CEO of Yahoo. In the online world, we knew what that meant. There was a thing, you know, the internet bubble. In the late 90s and companies like yahoo were going public in record time with no revenues not no earnings no revenue so that was quite impressive i i came home from one conversation with a guy i didn't know all that well and decided to change or set the course of my entire career Based on him, I I bought two domain names that no one owned. One was interimceo.com. The other one was interimcfo.com. Hung out a shingle and started doing gigs with early stage tech companies, the same as my mentor. So I did that for a number of years. Uh, uh, Had a number of early stage companies that didn't do well. Luckily, had a couple that really hit it and, and had IPOs, went public and uh, helped another uh, group of companies have really good sales to strategic buyers. So that was that. Then social networks came around, LinkedIn, Facebook, MySpace. And I wondered how many people were like me doing this really weird kind of, of you know, interim or fractional or contract-based leadership role. And so we launched what became interim execs. And that is the company that I help run today. It's a global kind of matching service between organizations, for-profits and non-profits that need leadership, and remarkable executives who've chosen as a career to be project-based.
0: Amazing. I can tell when you speak of it that you have a lot of energy and passion around it. So you got the t-shirt on and people who are listening, some people are watching us on video, some people are listening on a podcast. But there's a book cover behind you. I bet you got a copy of the book, too. Tell us about Right Leader, uh, Right Time. Is that what it says?
1: Right Leader, Right Time. So, so you know, here we are, uh, my business partner, Olivia Wagner, and I, and over a course of many years, about 7,000 executives knock on our proverbial door. Uh, Hugh, if that, was, if, if that was a line outside your door, that's about four miles long. It's a lot of people. And so we developed ranking and scoring and screening to figure out how to have a business, but there were these discoveries along the way. One of them was the vast majority of executives who were showing up, this is from 50 different countries, and uh, the vast majority were experiencing careers and leadership journeys that you would describe as okay, but not remarkable. The flip side was, if you just looked at the top one, two, three percent of leaders who were showing up. These were remarkable leaders, and they seemed to fit into one of four leadership styles. We started calling it style, and we felt compelled that we had to write about that, both the cautionary side as a warning, really, for leaders who were younger uh, younger and earlier in career, as well as for folks who were more advanced in terms of what they could do to be even better.
0: You know, I used to know a whole lot more about it when I was 20. I knew everything. But now in my 70s, there's a whole lot I don't know. So you talk about leadership style. So define what you mean by leadership style and then talk about some of your methodologies, the fixer, artist, builder, strategist.
1: So I will. But first, I have a a, a new crazy idea I've adopted. Um, Because a few days ago, I I was reading in a magazine, there was an interview with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock is a phenomenally successful actor and and person in business. And he had just turned 50. And he told the interviewer, he said, he said, I call it levels. He said, I'm at my fifth level. And I thought, well, this is great. Then what I'm gonna say about myself is I'm a sixth level Jedi. So you, I'm calling you seventh level Jedi. That's what you are. That's really what age is. It's just, you've got this vast capability.
0: I'm glad I showed up today. That's really good.
1: <laughs> I don't think Star Wars is going to get after me for any copyright infringement there, but we're putting it out to the world, right?
0: Love it, love it, love it.
1: So leadership style. So, so we gave four labels to what we were seeing among exceptional leaders, which we call fixer, artist, builder, and strategist, F-A-B-S. And F-A-B-S in the book, right leader right time is you know the shorthand way of talking about fab's leadership styles we also pretty much by the time uh, you're publishing our, our talk this podcast um, a fab's leadership assessment is coming out it's a uh, free three minute tool and we would welcome anybody um, can take it and hopefully get some more insights on their own style
0: Great. great. So why is is that important to understand a style?
1: So let me give you a little parallel here, something that we were thinking about a lot. You know, you and I are getting to know each other, Hugh, and let's say you tell me you got a pain in your foot. Well, if I know a great podiatrist in your town, I'm going to give it to you. But I guarantee you, I'm not going to make a recommendation of a cardiologist or a neurosurgeon or OBGYN. I'm not going there. Well, in medicine, we accept ex- we we expect and we accept with over a hundred specializations that we're all better off. Longevity is better, relief from pain. It's just all of all of what is we consider modern civilization, it's better because of medical specialization. We don't really do the same thing when it comes to leadership of organizations. We kind of do the opposite. If someone has done one thing well, and especially if they've amassed any money, we just start thinking, oh, they could do everything great. And it simply is not the case. The number one mistake most executives make is trying to be all things to all people. It never has worked. It doesn't work. And yet, even if you were to bring this up To these folks who are who are meandering too much they would deny it wow wow
0: that is crystal clear on a specific problem i've been doing this for 34 plus years i worked in mega churches like it was a corporate job with the major major budget major leaders Uh, but i worked external to nonprofits to mid-cap corporations and to um churches and synagogues you know some of the issues are the same no matter where you're leading and you just nailed one of the major ones and i would there's a, there's an umbrella that i'm going to see what you think about umbrella is blind spots you know we we don't see them cuz they're blind spots and it takes somebody like you or me to help a leader realize no that's not your skill so that's not your job
1: <laughs> right yes, exactly Exactly. And and so, so the organization, the, the, the leadership and the management of organization, I guess in some ways is is like the, the last bastion of of where you can get away with this. And if you start thinking about it, there are other examples. For example, uh, in law, you, let's say you tell me you have the greatest idea, this new invention. Well, if I have a great patent attorney, I'm going to give them to you, but I'm not going to give you a litigator. It just doesn't apply. And if I have a friend who is great at maritime law or family law, they don't know patent. And so we accept this. This is what we, we, we demand in business. It's not like that. And so more and more, we've been trying to apply this lens in terms of how we look at being more excellent at what we do with our business in terms of what is the thing that drives this leader? What is it that drives them? So I can give you a little detail on each one of these four styles if you'd like. Let's do, please. Fixer. Fixer is the energy, sounds kind of obvious, but it it drives for turnaround. Fixer, this is the person that runs into the burning building. The thing we mean with fixer is they do it time after time. It's not, all leaders are called upon to solve problems. where fixer is primary energy is, it has to keep on doing that. That person has to keep on doing that from client to client, company to company. And if they don't get that, and if they do not have that opportunity to do that, look out because they're going to start breaking things. Artist. Artist is the energy that looks at the world as a blank canvas or a piece of clay to be molded. Standout leader in the world that everybody can see you as an artist on full display is Elon Musk. Now it's interesting because when Elon is in full innovation art mode, you get Tesla, you get SpaceX, you get the boring company, just world-changing innovation. I mean, he's almost single-handedly changed the way the world thinks about electric vehicles. And the idea that space travel should not just be the province of governments, mm-hmm. that private companies can drive us forward. I think it's wonderful. We're also seeing a display what happens when he leaves his, his dominant mode of, of leading, because as you and I are recording this, we're in about week six at Twitter, Elon Musk owning Twitter, and it ain't going perfect. And and he's got a playbook, you know, for turnaround, which which no other fixer in the world should try to adopt. Unless you own the company, it ain't gonna work. It's not gonna work. So that's artist, builder. Now I know everybody in business, everyone in any kind of organization wants to be a builder. We get that. We mean the kind of energy that can take the nascent or small team, product, service, client relationship to scale to some point of market domination. And what you tend to see with builders of its dominant wiring is when they do reach that point of scale, they tend to rotate off if it's somebody that has achieved an IPO, for example, they tend at some point to back off and they will go do something else. They will not stay with it. Fourth strategy, the fourth leadership style is strategist. Strategist, we could have equally called conductor, pilot, quarterback. This is the leader at scale. This is the leader who is expert in complex or fast organization that is beyond what Stephen Covey called personal span of control. You tend to see the energies of fixer or artist or builder where the team size is five or 10 or 50 or 200. But generally that leader, they know everybody who is there and that personal relationship counts for something. The strategist at scale cannot rely on personal span of control, personal relationships to get things done. Organizations are too vast. We interviewed a lot of leaders for the book, Right Leader, Right Time. One of the strategists we interviewed was the former Undersecretary of the Navy, Dr. Janine Davidson. And to talk with her and hear how you would try to have influence over systems of systems, radically different kind of energy and language than you hear at a fixer or artist or builder. Strategists talk about loyalty. They talk about mentorship. They talk about being cross-trained in an organization over years. It's simply that that language is not what you hear out of fixers, artists, and builders.
0: So how, is, how important is it to understand who we are as a leader, which basically that is, what is our style and who we are? And it's really getting to the authenticity of who you are, not pretending to be something else. How let's, let's connect that with your success. There's a direct financial implication of your success or failure by being who you are and being true to that and being good at that.
1: Well, you hit on the, the key word, uh, authenticity, and, and I know it can be overused, but um, we use a phrase in the book, highest and best use. And what we see is that exceptional leaders tend to reject more of what is not for their highest and best use. It's very easy to say that. It's incredibly hard to do. For anyone listening who's early on in their in their career and their leadership journey, easy, it's just, you need the job, you need the money, you need the income, you've got bills, you can't say no to things. I get that. But what tends to happen in the successful career and for a leader who's who becomes more and more successful is that over time, there is more and more of a progression which doubles down within the things at which they are great and tends to reject more of everything else. And then it becomes this kind of self-reinforcing loop. And that's where the real difference is, is that because as that journey goes on, for people that if they will not double down, they will not collaborate more with everyone around them, they're going to suffer from dilution in their results, less happiness, less career success.
0: I find, um, I said a minute ago, I find some of the same deficits in mid-cap corporate leaders as I do um, community nonprofits. And it, it's it's a lack of awareness, self-discovery. And, um, been a student of Murray Bowen, uh, MD, the, who developed Bowen family systems. It's a leadership system by knowing self from knowing your family of origin and learning about yourself. So the the transparency and the revelation for self is huge. But one of the 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 principles is that is identifying where we're over functioning. There's an over under functioning reciprocity. And I wonder if, if in your journeys, you've seen—and I'm probably sure—it's probably this first one, the uh, the fixer. There's an a, there's a propensity for leaders to overfunction, and then their teams do just the opposite—they underfunction. How prevalent do you see that, and is that a major problem in your world?
1: You know, it's funny as you're saying that, Hugh, because one of the sparks for the label fixer was that we had done a book about ten years ago called How They Did It. Was a series of interviews with champion company founders. Full title of the book was How They Did It, Billion-Dollar Insights from the Heart of America. And these were incredibly successful startups that scaled, like Morningstar, for example. And one of the leaders we interviewed, in the middle of the interview, he said, you know, if I put a fixer into one of my companies and it isn't broken, he'll break it just so he can fix it. And we we really tried to kind of taunt in a way the leaders who we interviewed for right leader right time the fixers by saying that quote and saying what do you think about that because if you're not a fixer you could look at it and say you're going crazy and all of the fixers no one got offended by it all of the fixers were like well yes yeah, so what what of it so any particular wiring you know run amuck is not good It's not, there there is self-governance that is needed here. And by the way, I should say, we're not trying to pigeonhole anybody and saying you're just this or you're just that. All leaders are a combination of their capabilities and their skills and and to be great at it, you have to bring all of this to bear. What we are saying is there tends to be a particular style of process and approach a system that becomes more and more the way that that leader expresses how they are successful and the best use.
0: Love it, love it. So I wanna talk about the culture. You know, we successful leaders build successful teams. And I shared with you, I was a conductor and there's the misconceptions, a lot of misconceptions about leadership. Probably one of the most misunderstood words in our language. So people think, oh, you're a conductor, you're a dictator let me tell you you got you got 100 players out there that are union members you got a little white stick you can't make them do anything but you can influence them so misconceptions as far as leadership and building high performing teams let's start with the misconceptions and then what do you recommend and why is it why is it so important to have a high functioning team
1: well for starters i want to pick up on the word culture that you used um, because Culture, you know, everybody knows this, this famous Peter Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast, right? Mm -hmm. And and part of the implication of that is, oh, it's it's this huge thing. You can't you can't touch that. It's interesting because one of the traits or or capabilities or desires, I'll say, among strategist leaders is that they they will say, absolutely you can and you should influence what is culture. One of the 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 key words we, we talk about a mantra for each one of these styles and the mantra for strategist is cadence. Cadence huh. that that you'll hear leaders of large organizations talk about that there's a cadence to the board, there's a cadence to the marketing effort, there's a cadence to production and operations, and that the job of a strategist is to quicken the cadence there, which I love. I love that idea. That there's kind of this heartbeat. There's this syncopation to organization. Isn't that interesting? That is wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so so you, your question getting at, you know, the, the performance of a team, I think in a lot of cases we should be doing it for joy. I, I can't remember if it was Jung or Freud, but one of them said, you want to boil down life, two things, there's love and there's work. You know, and for all of us, you you think about, you know, your life and what the journey is, is to keep on perfecting your ability to love, to love other people, to be loved, and that work should have meaning. And so I think the more that we come to embrace and understand ourselves, the better, the more value we become when we are on teams to organizations that we're with. And the more that I can be in a conversation with you if we are on a team together and understand how you are wired, the things you love and the things you hate, man, I'm gonna to try to throw the stuff that you're better than me at all day long. I mean, it would just be vindictive to try to throw stuff at you at which you are not great if I want the team to advance. And that's what we gotta be aiming for.
0: This is saying for conductors, by the way, conductor jokes and lawyer jokes are sometimes interchangeable. There's a saying about con- conductors that if the orchestra respects the conductor, they play as the conductor intends. If not, they play just as you conduct, which is might not be exactly where it is. So um, there's, there's a model in the military, if you're not respected, you could get shot in the back in combat. And there's corporate leaders that get shot in the back every day, don't even know it. So this relationship piece and in spending time and building relationship, where does that fit into your model?
1: Well, I I love your examples. I I wish we would have had this conversation before I finished writing the book because we what we see among teams now is is that the old style of the manager who is just kind of going around and talking to people like, hey, how are you doing today? That's That's kind of gone in a lot of businesses now. The the leader has to be accretive. The leader has to truly be additive, prove their weight with the team. One of the psychologists we interviewed in the book, we we talked to a lot of organizational psychologists to ask, are we crazy? What do you think of this model of these four styles? And and, um, luckily, we got good feedback and was positive. And one of the psychologists, he said, you know, you have to be spiky even if you're the leader. Said, what do you mean by spiky? And he said, well, if you looked at a chart or a graph and it showed all of the abilities that people bring to work and the capabilities on a team and you know, all of these skills and everything, he said, you just have to be spiky at a couple things. You have to rise above in that chart in terms of where you are exceptional. But you can't have these spikes across the board. No one can. Again, it's all things to all people. He said, so on the team, if you're spiking in a certain way and I'm spiking in a certain way, which is going to be different, well, that's just great because we're going to be complementary. And it means our ability to collaborate just went way up.
0: Not to be confused with the spike that the cowboy wears in the rodeo and the bucking bronco. <laughs> New spike. Different kind New of – that's brilliant. That is really – Yeah, yeah
1: and, There's a there's a boring – business kind of word we used in the book, which was accretive. And it is that, that on teams, everyone has to be accretive to the team. There has to be unique contribution, and it includes the person who is nominally the leader or the manager of it. You just can't get away hiding anymore. There are too many transparent, there's too much system and software looking at all of us, and too much transparency to get away with what we would call hiding.
0: Yes, and I learned from one of my conductor teachers of conducting that until I could be vulnerable on the podium I couldn't make great great music and that turned out to be very true just be authentic be transparent be vulnerable doesn't mean you whine but it means that you're you're there so in in the orchestra we have different personalities to go, go figure go with the different instrumental groups and I I meet all kinds of leaders and even people in power positions they don't want to do any course corrections or have those difficult conversations that we need to have. In a conductor, you stop the rehearsal, you say, trumpets, that's too loud, take it down one dynamic level. Well, you identified the issue, you didn't blame them, they're in the back, they're playing a loud instrument, and you told them what to do, and let's let's give it another go. But leaders don't do that. They think there's something bad about that. What's your experience? having? How do we have those difficult conversations?
1: Uh, before we get into that, I've just, I just realized, Hugh, I need to interview you. You're you're going to be my latest conductor interview. We're we're going to schedule another call here around that because I find that fascinating. Great, uh, right? Uh, on its own. Well, the first point of a difficult conversation is is to have it uh, gently, gently, respectfully, but to go have it because this gets back to this word, authentic. And the more that you can know who I am and what I'm strong at, and the more I can know you on the team that way, it simply means we're gonna perform better. And uh, this is more and place more on a premium now because a lot of work and teams are remote. And so this challenge of getting to know each other, we don't, you know, if we're not you know, gonna be in person as much, we're not gonna have as much body language and as much downtime, if you will, to go figure that out. So it's more important than ever.
0: Organizations have external dynamics and internal dynamics, and we all too often focus on the external, how we market, what our branding is, et cetera, market. So um, we have some instability, we have some conflict, we have some issues inside a company. How will that impact our prof- profit, and our profitability and our performance?
1: Well, it's going to directly affect it. and I find it interesting that even, you know, you look at the greatest technology companies in the world where you would think oh it's just about it's around software and hardware it's not really a human being so much it's that they've scaled these businesses they don't need somebody at a counter to keep running and even those businesses will say they completely depend on people you know that that it is just as important as ever that those teams have to be high performing we all see this by the way in, in, when we look at any kind of sports that we're interested in. We're recording now the World Cup is going on. The team that wins is the better coordinated team because it's not just always about one player. I'll date myself here, but I'm in Chicago. And uh, when I was much younger, I had the good fortune to be able to watch Michael Jordan play. And Michael, yes, it was beautiful to watch him, but I got the impression at various points that if the Chicago Bulls were all blindfolded, they could still play a pretty good game because there was this sense among the team that was so in sync with each other that it was beautiful to watch. And that is the exact same thing in any organization that you are in, is that if you can help, if you can be part of something that is firing on that many cylinders, man, you are going to have incredible results and you're also going to have a great time doing it.
0: That, yes, that's an extended model of the, the seven NASCAR guys that jump over the wall. And in 13 seconds, they've changed tires, filled the gas, cleaned the window and back. In 13.1 seconds, the driver would lose a spot on the track. But everybody is so fine-tuned. And you know what? They rehearse.
1: They rehearse. I know one of one of an entrepreneur who sold his company, he wanted to do that for a year. You put on the fire suit. And he showed us how he would practice you know, because you've got this gas nozzle and it is is going to be sending fuel so fast and you could not miss. You just, you had to nail this action so perfectly.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And there's a lot of energy around that. So people can find you on your website and um, it is interim, I-N-T-E-R-I-M-E-X-E-C-S, interimexecs.com. So when people go to interimexecs.com, and it's, if you listen to the podcast, that'll be on your narrative on your podcast, or if you go to our page at org, you'll be able to find this episode and all this information. So what will people find when they go to your website? I'm showing it for people that are on video, but The people that are listening need to know as well.
1: Oh, the most glorious sight they've ever seen. Uh, You know, we are, I hope, a fount of information on our particular specialty, which is all around this new career calling, this new expertise and interim, whatever you call it, whether you call it interim or contract or fractional leadership, and so organizations from around uh, from around the world show up when they have particular leadership needs. And we hope to be the best matchmaker around the world in that.
0: There's a number of sections here. So I encourage people to go. Uh, here's a case study. Um, you can find it. L- Lots li- of articles. Yeah. Hundreds
1: for. and hundreds of pages of articles and and uh, information for folks who are interested. A
0: lot of really good stuff. And don't look at the top for a contact tab. It's right there. Contact is right in the middle. And uh, red team means action and results. So that's just so great. So, well, that's
1: the key thing, Q. Yeah. See, because the, 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 there's this wonderful, huge category of business called consulting. What this is is operational leadership. And so, red stands for rapid executive deployment, red team. But it is the focus is on putting in operational leaders who will make decisions and take action.
0: Bob, we got to end this great podcast. My brain's full. This is just so helpful. This information is so helpful. So I encourage people who are listening to go to interimexecs.com and find out. You can find it on this page at the non-profit exchange.org. It's org. We are, in fact, a 501c3 nonprofit in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So Bob, any parting parting thought or challenge for people at the end of this really helpful interview?
1: Thank you, Hugh. It's been a pleasure, and I my my message to everyone is: do not let the world commoditize you. If you're in any kind of leadership role, it is it's incumbent on you to think about the thing that drives you, the thing that really makes makes you hum. That's the thing you've got to double down on.
0: Robert Jordan, you've been a great guest on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you so much. Thank you, Hugh. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.